Welcome to this episode of Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0 with Christine Kim and Ben Edgington. Join the conversation as the ETH 2.0 Dream Team discuss its live development, its potential impact on the crypto markets, and spotlight major Ethereum news events as they develop. This episode is sponsored by Unique One Network. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hi, guys. Welcome back to Mapping Out East 2.0, hosted by yours truly, Christine Kim and Consensus's Ben Edgington. Hi, everyone. Ben here. Christine and I will be going through your weekly roundup of markets, tech and community related news about Ethereum and Ethereum 2.0. And we have a very special guest this week. But before we get to that, Christine, I did something that I've never done before this week. Tell me, what is it? What did you do? I finally got around to buying an NFT artwork. <laughs> what was the artwork? What, did you, <laughs> uh, what was it representative of? Genuine art. This is a really interesting project. So this is Damien Hurst, who is a somewhat famous British artist. He's most famous for pickling sharks in tanks and stuff like that. But I didn't buy a shark in a tank. What he did in 2016 is he produced 10,000 artworks, which are pictures of blobs. They're just dots on pieces of paper, which are 20 centimeters by 30 centimeters, handmade paper and all of that. And he produced 10,000 of these. And it's a project he called The Currency. And it's taken him five years to work out what he wants to do with them. And he's made them into NFTs. So there are 10,000 NFTs and 10,000 physical artworks. Now, the physical ones are in a vault in London, and the NFTs were just distributed uh, this week, and I was lucky enough to get one. But here's the interesting bit. This is a really fascinating part of the project. I've got a year to decide, do I want to keep the NFT or do I want to keep the physical artwork? So at any point in the next year, I can change my NFT for, uh, for the physical artwork. It'll be delivered to me. I can hang it on the wall, but my NFT is burnt. Or I can keep the NFT forever and the physical artwork will be burnt, actually burned. There's going to be a bonfire. So this is a really interesting project. That is so cool. I've, I haven't heard of anything like this. Ben, what do you think you're going to do? Do you value the <laughs> digital NFT more than the physical art piece or vice versa? I mean, personally, I would pick the physical option. That's something you can see, something you can touch, you know? Yeah, it's, this is really tricky. And I'm really kind of soul searching on this one. And thankfully, there's a year to decide. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, uh, you know, do I, do I really believe in the tech? Do I really believe that NFTs are, you know, valuable in, in and of themselves? Or do I just want something to, to hang on my wall for my, uh, you know, and pass on to my descendants? It's really tricky. I shall be wrestling with this uh, for a while to come. I'll let you know what I decide. Uh, anyway, this is a great introduction to our guest this week. Christine, who have we got? For our show today, I want to introduce Sean C. Griffin, an attorney based in Washington, D.C. that specializes in litigations involving NFTs, smart contracts, and cryptocurrencies. It's great to have you on the show, Sean. Great to be here. So, Sean, tell me a little about how you first came to know about non-fungible tokens or NFTs. What was your first encounter with them? And can you describe to our listeners a little bit about what makes their trading and their sale on the markets unique in the eyes of regulators, in the eyes of lawyers? <laughs> sure. The funny thing about being a litigator as I am is how you end up wandering from one field into another, not necessarily by design, 
but that, that's just uh, where your clients sort of pull you. Uh, so for example, how I got into data security generally wasn't because I was particularly tech savvy, but because I um, was involved in a big national tort case that had me converting documents to electronic documents and emailing them and managing them in a way that law firms uh, were just uh, barely getting into. And from there, I was a step into cybersecurity and then progressed on in the cybersecurity world, got my uh, cybersecurity uh, certification. And once I had that, I get involved in a bunch of different cases, one of which being uh, people asking me about these new NFT things that are coming along. And I think the Beeple uh, sale back in March for $69.2 million was really sort of an inflection point for the NFTs. People asked me about them before that, but it was more of idle curiosity. But uh, once that happened, I got much more serious inquiries about what are these, what are they, what can I do with them? I had kept an eye on it just because in the cybersecurity world, I sort of try to keep my eye on everything, including uh, cryptocurrency. And so it was easy enough for me to answer these questions, but I sort of got drawn more and more into it as uh, the dollar values got higher and higher. And what made the trading and the sale of these NFTs particularly different from the trading and the sale of other equities or assets or traditional financial stocks, bonds that made this an interesting thing in the eyes of you, of people who specialize in law and in in regulation? Unfortunately, uh, this is not a two-hour podcast, so I can't delve into that in detail. (laughs) (laughs) What I'll say at the 50,000-foot level is that NFTs are unique because they are unique. That is to say, generally, you could exchange $1 for any other dollar. It doesn't matter. You can exchange one Bitcoin for any of the Bitcoin. It doesn't matter. Those assets are fungible. That's what makes them valuable. NFTs are, by definition, unique. You cannot really trade one NFT for another NFT. They're two entirely different things. So NFTs, to use an analogy, are much more like a sports star. You can compare LeBron James to Giannis Antetokounmpo, but you can't necessarily exchange one for the other neatly. And so NFTs are that way. And I think the real brilliant step in terms of NFTs, which have been around for a while, but the brilliant step forward that they made was to associate this uniqueness with another commodity that derives much of its value from its uniqueness, the art world. And so once uh, somebody figured out, wait a minute, if I can attach an NFT to a piece of art, then that unique artwork uh, can become much more valuable because then it is possible to prove that you know, this, is, this artwork is unique. And that sort of takes away the, from the forgery problems that art has had. But art, these sort of went on from things that aren't necessarily artistic, like, for example, a tweet or a YouTube video of a kid biting another kid's fingers, all of which have been sold for NFTs. Let's talk about just specifically the art connection between NFTs and traditional art, because you mentioned the Beeple sale as one of the pivotal moments in 2021 that really got this NFT frenzy started. Would you characterize the value of most NFT tokens out there right now as a bubble? Is the NFT market in your eyes more froth than real value? Tell me about how careful you think traders, investors in the NFT market should be right now. This is my own personal opinion, keeping in mind that I'm not a stock-made billionaire. So just looking at NFT trading and NFT prices, it seemed to me, just as an observer, like we really had a peak between, let's say, March and May, June, where things were really hot with NFTs. Again, the people sale, the uh, original tweet that sold, that sort of thing got a lot of interest from 
people and things were selling for a lot more than I would expect them to. And it seems like the market has cooled down some, but it's not cold yet. Jay-Z is about to sell one of his songs as an NFT. And I have to say, you can't knock his hustle. So that works out very well for him. But I don't know that we're you know, going to continue reaching the heights of you know, $69, $70 million art sales. Right. Now, hopefully this doesn't hear the same day that, you know, somebody sells <laughs> a picture of dogs playing Proko for $82 million, but I really just don't think we're going to see those heights again. But at the same time, I don't think it's going to be like Beanie Babies either, where they're, you know, completely worthless now, because again, there are a lot of things you can do with a unique digital asset. And I think we're really just beginning to explore those within the art world and even outside the art world. We are at the cusp of something big. Looking ahead, tell me a little bit about where you think the market infrastructure around NFTs needs the most work to grow, to scale, and reach a level of maturity that allows it for more investors, more traders to get involved? Another big, big topic. In terms of what I would want as an NFT trader, first of all, I'd want a more sophisticated you know, marketplace infrastructure. We see NFT hacks pretty regularly. One occurred in May, if I recall correctly. There are others after that. But somebody can hack your NFT account with the same ease that they can hack your Facebook account, which if somebody hacks my Facebook account, they get a bunch of uh, food pictures and my thoughts on the latest episode of Doctor Who. What valuable, but you know, not $69.2 million worth of valuable. If somebody hacks your NFT marketplace using the exact same techniques, some phishing technique, a weak password you might have, you know, you might be slapped with your private key, you know, they can get all the money from that marketplace. And then here's the really specific part that I would like to see if uh, the thief decides to move that NFT to a different marketplace, it might just be gone forever. Again, by its very technical nature, there might be no way whatsoever to track that NFT and it could just be lost and somebody else could be walking around with a, with a very valuable commodity. And so I would like to see either privately or through government regulations, you know, some sort of overseeing entity whereby you could track an NFT from one marketplace to another. So a thief can so easily just disappear with it. And I get that part of the whole point of cryptocurrency is they don't have government regulation, but at some point, if the problem gets bad enough, somebody's going to have to do something about it because then that really will kill investment. Just imagine, for example, if bank robberies were a fairly common thing and you know, every so often your bank just got robbed and you were just out whatever money the robbers took out of the bank, that would not be tenable. Eventually the federal mm. government stepped in in the early 20th century to sort of ensure losses so people wouldn't be terrified of losing the losses based on bank robberies or stock runs or what have you. I think we need something like that in the cryptocurrency field generally and for NFTs specifically. Very interesting. And that's a perfect segue to our next segment where we do want to go deeper into the privacy and the cybersecurity challenges of NFTs and smart contracts. But we're going to take a quick break right now to have a word with our sponsors and stick around because we're going to be right back with Sean Griffin, more on NFTs and NFT cybersecurity challenges. There's so many blockchains and NFT marketplaces these days, and none of them work together. Introducing Unique One Network, the easy way to build multi-blockchain DeFi-enabled NFT marketplaces, where instead of picking your favorite blockchain, you let your users and creators pick for themselves. Powered by Polkadot, Unique One Network lets you service NFT creators and collectors across art, photography, philanthropy, gaming, finance, and more. So do yourself a favor and head over to uniqueone.network now to learn more. That's uniqueone.network to learn more. <laughs> 
and we're back. Sean, apart from your legal background, you're also an IAPP certified information privacy professional, and you have extensive uh, experience working with clients through data security issues. Um, and I want to talk to you specifically about the security challenges of NFTs uh, and smart contracts on the blockchain. Uh, what are the ways in which people are getting defrauded, are suffering loss or theft of their blockchain properties? The ways, and I touched on this a little bit before, the ways are actually surprisingly simple. Most newcomers to the field sort of anticipate that because they're uh, engaged in trading technologically sophisticated assets, that the protection of them is equally technologically sophisticated. Then you hear the phrase public key and you think, you know, you have some sort of James Bond uh, Mission Impossible uh, technology at your disposal. And then uh, you do not. Again, it's about as safe as your Facebook account is. Last NFT hack, uh, the Nifty hack, was through pure phishing techniques and weak passwords. I mean, that's all it was. There was no, nobody's typing away at the computer with some sophisticated code. There was nothing critically technologically sophisticated happening. It was the same thing as the Nigerian Prince email from the early 2000s or whatever. Basically, it was the same thing, the same passwords. And this is not unique to NFTs. The solar winds hack that happened, you know, a few months ago, that was basically the same thing. The password to server in the solar winds hack was solar winds one, two, three. That's not helpful, but yeah. that's the same security issue you have there. People don't understand what they need to do to protect their private key. People fall for, you know, spoofed emails from the nifty gateway marketplace. And that's that. In, in terms of what I would be considered as a, an investor, that seems to be the biggest cybersecurity issue, just this, you know, the same old stuff. Right. So losing your password, losing your keys. Uh, what about sort of provenance of NFTs? So you spoke earlier about linking the NFT to a physical artwork, for example. Are there fake NFTs? Are people getting taken in by fraudsters uh, in, in that sort of way? Do you see that? Well, it's kind of funny you put it that way because I was uh, I touched on this in my article a while ago. Again, the NFT is by definition unique. If you get the NFT, you can prove you have that NFT, but people think they're also getting the associated artwork with that too. So for example, I could say you an NFT of the Mona Lisa, and then you could go on Facebook, some of you weren't hacked and type, oh, I, look, I just bought the Mona Lisa. Then you know somebody would remind you, no, 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 you just bought a digital code that somebody says is associated with the Mona Lisa, but you don't actually have the Mona Lisa. <laughs> Still uh, sitting in the Louvre. I think there's been a lot of sloppiness about that in the media because people said, oh, people sold his artwork for 69.2. No, it wasn't really an NFT artwork. The NFT is not art unless you really love code. It's not art. It's just a code, a smart contract. And the actual picture, you can download it yourself, Google it, download it yourself and have it on your computer. And now you have seen a lot of fraudsters figure this out. In other words, they attach the NFT to a piece of art that they don't actually own. And they sell that uh, very valuable piece of art, let's just say the Mona Lisa or the latest Jay-Z song or what have you. Somebody thinks they're buying some sort of rights to that piece of art and they really have it. They have the NFT legally. And I'll go solely here because I know that concepts that are simple to attorneys are complicated to everybody else. <laughs> legally, if your contract says you're buying uh, this NFT and nothing else, and you pay $10 million for that NFT, you might not have been defrauded. If you just choose to purchase that NFT with that sole contract saying you were just buying the NFT, there's no fraud because nobody's saying you have actually bought uh, the Mona Lisa. Uh, now, if you have a separate contract that says you are hereby buying the Mona Lisa 
you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It depends on what the contract says. Do you have copyright? Uh, do you have uh, reproduction rights? What kind of intellectual property are you buying? The whole actual contract would be very complex. This gets especially confusing because NFTs are referred to as smart contracts. That annoys me as an attorney because it's not really <laughs> any sort of contract. It's a few lines of code. All that's to say is it's easy to scam somebody by saying you sold them an NFT that's more valuable than the person thinks they is just by a little bit of fast talking, a little bit of a clever association, and then you sold the NFT. And then, you know, good luck chasing it down because the person can say, well, I did sell the NFT, just like I said I would, nya, nya, nya. And then they uh, head off with your uh, money and that's that. So buyer beware, as in so many cases. And um, I guess with something that's new, that's exciting, people easily get taken in, right? People very easily get taken in by these things, especially because it is new and exciting. And because the marketplace is so loose about it, for example, one popular NFT site is a, the trade NBA highlights. I'm a fan of Milwaukee Bucks because I was born and raised in Milwaukee. I'm very excited right now. If I were less uh, sophisticated about cybersecurity, somebody could offer me some NFTs of uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo highlights, and I might get excited and buy them, thinking I was buying the rights to mm. particular slam dunk. Obviously, you know, I know that I'm not. The NBA will always hold those rights. The best I can do is sort of trade those rights to and from on the NBA's marketplace, where they call it Top Shot. And I can sell it for whatever I can get for it, but who knows what I can get for it, whatever somebody's willing to pay for it to watch that highlight on that particular site. There's an early question of whether the NFT seems like a bubble. That does seem bubble-like. Even I, who care about the Milwaukee Bucks more than I should, I will not pay for a highlight that I can watch on YouTube for free. <laughs> I won't do that. Um, and But some people will just because they're speculating that the price will increase, which I guess we could talk about the various legal implications of NFTs uh, later on. But you know, that's the sort of thing that happens. Yeah. So this is the, the, the tech segment of the show. So we should do some tech. Are there particular tools or analytics that you are able to access that help you in your work supporting people who, who have been victims of uh, fraud or theft? As far as the particular tools that analysts, I as an attorney, not particularly. I mean, I have a network of vendors and I rely on the vendors to do the heavy lifting part of it. And you would understand my position if you'd seen my college math and science grades. <laughs> you would applaud my discretion in that particular regard because at some point it becomes like anything else that is stolen, right? I mean, if I steal your NFT because I tricked you into it or I you know, take uh, some documents out of your office without, right? In, in both cases, I've taken your data that belongs to you and you could use the same techniques to track the data. Okay, Christine put your documents into her trunk and drove off. Can we see where the car went uh, using cameras? Somebody took your NFT. Is it still on this marketplace or is it hasn't been shifted to another marketplace? If you can track it, then you'll have a good shot at that. The Colonial Pipeline uh, ransomware attack is a little bit off topic, but you asked about tech and um, this will probably be uh, somewhat interesting to your listeners. The Department of Justice got a lot of that money back just because they were able to track the Bitcoin that was paid through the marketplace. The um, hackers kept it on the same marketplace for uh, whatever reason and a mistake I'm sure they will not duplicate. And DOJ swooped in and got uh, 40 some odd million dollars of that money back. 
as uh, uh, now that's law enforcement. I I would let the FBI handle that particular part of it as an attorney, um, and I would let the you know vendors sort of you know assist in that as best they could. Maybe you have insurance on your NFT. If there are people who offer NFT insurance, that's another uh, marketplace that has not yet settled. You can interface with that, but there are you know a lot of things you can do as an attorney to help with that. You know, Nitty gritty technology, probably not nearly as much. So, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, this is a great myth of blockchain, isn't it? That it's untraceable, but there are ways, and it's far from uh, untraceable if if you know how to use the tools. Whether you can actually do anything once you've traced it is another matter entirely. But uh, that's, um, <laughs> that is the myth. Yeah, very very true. Because it's Colonial Pipeline hackers. I'm not sure how. Well, they do hacking. They just bought the tools off of uh, some dark side website and they use them. But then if they'd been really clever, they would have known to immediately shift mm. the coin uh, to somewhere else a, a bit less traceable. But they, either through ignorance or laziness or sloppiness, didn't do that. So you know, there they are. Great. I think uh, that wraps up our, our tech segment. Christine, do you want to lead us through our community segment now? Yeah. For the last couple of minutes of the show, I thought we'd talk a little bit about how to litigate or regulate decentralized communities. So Sean, you had mentioned earlier in the conversation that at some point, if theft and these kind of security concerns are so widespread, there's going to have to be some kind of standard, some kind of regulation in place to push this industry, push this space forward. But how possible is it to, to litigate a decentralized community? Is it possible to have truly permissionless systems that kind of run like the wild west and yet somehow also have some kind of centralizing force that helps move this space along in a way that that doesn't take away from its ethos of and value of decentralization what are some of the challenges around pushing forward standards for technologies like NFTs, for decentralized technologies like blockchain? You, you ask the big questions, don't you? Okay. <laughs> Litigation and regulation. I'll start with sort of regulation because you do set up a tension, a very important tension between the ethos of decentralization and the necessity for regulation. And which one do you prefer? And now I will speak, you know, again, from based on what I know, what makes money valuable is that at some point, some government can enforce the value of that money. And that's why every time you see something being paid for in Bitcoin, the news article says that was you know, $20 million in Bitcoin or what have you, just because saying you've got you know, 12 Bitcoin or however many Bitcoin you have, that doesn't mean a lot of the value of Bitcoin fluctuates, but if you say it's $20,000 or 15,000 euros, that means something, there's a government backing it up. And honestly, I think there are limits to how decentralized this is going to be going forward. You have these cryptocurrencies of value, which fluctuates and not sure how sustainable that is going forward without some form of regulation, some form of government regulation. A lot of governments are moving into this. And again, I'll try to move through these without uh, putting anybody to sleep. <laughs> it is my strength <laughs> sometimes, but you have a lot of entities that are moving to regulate the industry in a bunch of different ways because there really are concerns. Obviously, there are tax implications of this, you know. All governments want to get their taxes. They don't care how you are receiving money or what you call the money that you're receiving. If you receive something of value, uh, there's going to be an interest in taxing that money. The Treasury Department has come up with cryptocurrency guidelines, the EU has as well. 
I don't think this gets talked about as much as you know I would. I'm a former Department of Justice attorney. And so when I uh, first saw uh, these non-fungible tokens being sold for such a great amount of money, my thoughts immediately went to money laundering. And mm. uh, yes, I am particularly cynical, but I'm not the only person who uh, has that cynicism. And so you see a lot of uh, anti-money laundering ideas coming around about uh, cryptocurrency. Nothing has really been set yet, but uh, a lot of people have the idea that the reason people are offering to pay $20 million for the NFT of Sean Griffith's article isn't because of uh, my good looks or sterling pros, it's because of uh, you know, other less savory uh, concerns. And so I think you're going to see regulation from the you know, more of a criminal standpoint. Also, you're going to see whether cryptocurrency generally, including NFTs, are going to be regulated as securities or commodities. I won't bore you to the difference between the two, but let's just say there are NFTs which can be regulated um, as commodities, there are also fractional NFTs, part of part of an NFT that might be regulated as a security. A zillion regulations come, and they can come just by the United States, the SEC or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, you know, deciding that, oh, wait a minute, this is either a commodity or a security, regulations coming that way. Wow, uh, these, that opens yeah, up a whole nother can of worms, that point. It, it really, really does. And all of this you may notice I'm talking about everything but banking, which you would sort of expect. <laughs> you would sort of expect to start with, okay, we have banks. Are those banks going to be regulated? Yeah, but if you have to use these other ways to get about it, it's not necessarily the right tool for the job. It's just a tool you have at hand. And so you might end up with a patchwork of rules that nobody wants. So honestly, I'd like to see cryptocurrency, the NFT community get together and sort of decide what they want to do sooner rather than later, because otherwise... A zillion different governments and a zillion different government agencies are going to get together and start regulating it from a zillion, zillion different angles that uh, you know, nobody really is happy with. These sound like massive hurdles, and I'm so glad you clearly outlined them bullet by bullet because I've had inklings of these thoughts, but I've never really thought them through in the way that you just explained. And wow, yeah, long way to go. But question if and when these kinds of regulations do come up, these policies are created there is better regulatory clarity and structure when it comes to holding stakeholders, network stakeholders accountable and liable. Do you think the main people responsible for abiding to these guidelines are the developers of the marketplaces, developers of the protocol, people like them? Are these the people that justice authorities and lawyers go after? I'm really talking about this with the thought in mind that, you know, Ben is my friend and is he one of the people that, that is going to be the main focus in terms of enforcing these kinds of standards, you think? Well, put it this way, litigation and regulation both uh, follow one thing and that's the money. And so wherever the most money is, that tends to be where the most attention will be focused. NFT developers, are they really going to have a lot of money? Comparatively, no. I keep going back to people just because that's the example everybody knows. He has $70 million, but you know, for a regulator, that's well and good. But what is he really doing that you know, is really going to attract a regulator's concern other than continue to get money? But as long as he's not actively defrauding anybody, he'll be okay. I can imagine somebody being particularly cagey and writing something into a smart contract. Again, that's not going to be where the money is. I think the marketplaces are going to be getting hit with a, a lot of the focus of the regulators. And I think the NFT holders, depending on what they buy and what they do with them, can also be the subject of some regulation. I mentioned securities regulation before. 
if you're holding a fractional NFT and you start trading it as if it were a security, well, guess what? The SEC uh, here in the US will decide that, well, since you're pretending it's a security, we will too. And there you go with a, a bunch of regulations upon what you can and cannot do, what representations you can and cannot make with respect to your NFT and regulate that way with respect to the holders, as well as the marketplaces and the sellers. If you're, depending on how you sell your NFT, we haven't even talked about you know, selling NFTs as leases or as uh, actual contracts or, you know, anything else you have, but, you know, they could, depending on what they're attaching the NFT to, they could subject themselves to other regulations, but I think the majority of the regulations is going to be focused on the marketplaces. And then after that, the traders, I should say, the NFT, those who both buy and sell NFTs, because that makes you sound uh, like a securities or a commodities trader. Those uh, areas are highly regulated here in the U.S. Mm, gotcha. So then you can sleep soundly at night as a developer. <laughs> Continue to stay poor. This I'm is not, a good strategy. I'm not strategy. going to jail. Yeah, I can be poor. This is fun. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I mean, you could be going to jail. I don't know what you're doing. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. Well, I guess as a final question to that point is one of the interesting things that has happened very recently in the Ethereum world is funding for public goods on Ethereum, funding for development on the protocol level that everybody can appreciate a really awesome upgrade on Ethereum that benefits in terms of like transaction efficiency, but that no individual user is kind of willing to pay for. One of an, an interesting experiment that was done very recently by Tim Baiko, the head of the AllCore developers by Weekly Call. We've had him before at, on this podcast show. He created an NFT series where he fundraised basically money, like crowdfunding, like a, a, a fundraising campaign with special digital art, unique digital art that represents the kind of collaborative development process between client teams and developers and various people who are testing the software. I think it's, it's really interesting to see how NFTs could potentially be used to help fund public goods on Ethereum. Sean, have you heard about this before? What are your initial thoughts or reactions to using NFTs in this way? Well, as an attorney, you're always comparing one thing to another thing. And when I heard about this, my first thought was, that sounds like a bake sale. I mean, I can bake my cookies with my special recipe. These are all very unique cookies I have here. They're NFT cookies that I can sell them and raise money for public good to benefit my school, which is a public good. That's one and good. In this case, the cookies are NFTs and NFTs are cookies. You can do that and you will raise some money because, again, the cost of generating NFT is extraordinarily low and then you can sell them for a high amount of money. So obviously that's a lot of profit that works out very well if your sole purpose is to raise money. And everybody you know, understands that you know, part of being in a fundraiser is you're overpaying for whatever you're buying just because you want to fund this public good. How far can you go with that? I guess about as far as you can with your my bake sale school fund. I mean, yes, it, it could help the school, but are you going to have an entire school run by the sale of baked goods? Probably not. Probably not any school that you want your child to attend. So I, I kind of think NFTs could might be useful in terms of raising money, but I don't think they're alone going to be the answer. Fair point. We're going to have to think about other good funding mechanisms for public goods on Ethereum, Ben. This is a uh, clearly not something that NFTs alone can shoulder the burden for. Yeah, yeah it's been it's a big problem. It's been around a long time in all sorts of open source areas. So uh, yeah, we'll keep working on it. 
All right. Well, I think that wraps up our show for today. Sean, thank you so much for coming on to Mapping Out ETH2. It was a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thank you for having me. It was great being here. Thank you to everyone who listened in on today's show. Please be sure to join us again next week for another weekly roundup of all your markets, tech, and community-related news to the ongoing and active evolution of the Ethereum blockchain. If you've got any questions you'd like to get answered on this podcast, you can connect with each of us on Twitter. Our handles will be in today's show notes. Ben and I's handles will be on today's show notes. Ben, or Sean, do you have a Twitter handle? I do. My total handle is Sean Griffin ESQ. That's S-E-A-N-G-R-I-F-F-I-N-E-S-Q. Great, great. We'll also put his handle in today's show notes. You can also subscribe to our newsletters. I write every other week on what's new in ETH2, which you can find at eth2.news or follow me on Twitter and I'll let you know when the next one is out. And Christine's newsletter called Valid Points comes out every Wednesday and you can find that at coindesk.com. See you all next week for Mapping Out ETH 2.0, Ethereum as it was meant to be. Goodbye. You have been listening to Mapping Out ETH 2.0, part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. This episode featured Christine, Kim, and Ben Edgington, with guest Sean Griffin. Today's show is produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau, with music by Tide Electric. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service and talk to us directly via email at podcasts at coindesk.com.